Great to see you guys this morning. So my name is Tony. I'm pastor here at Wellspring. It's good to have you. Uh, if you're new or visiting, checking us out, we are glad you are here. Uh, maybe just a, a little dive into the season we are entering. So you may or may not know that this is the, the first Sunday of Lent. Now, depending on your background, you might be like, wait, so is that like where we give up candy for a little bit? Or like maybe if you grew up in a Catholic environment, maybe you're like, don't eat meat on Fridays. And you're like, so what is this whole like Lent thing anyway? So Lent simply is a word derived from Middle English, meaning spring. And it's the season where we kind of like in Advent, where we prepare our hearts and our lives for Good Friday and for Easter. Right? It's a season where we get in touch with our profound dependence on God. That God needed to get up on a cross and die for us. That God needed to be raised from the grave. That we could experience the life-giving power of the Spirit in our lives. Right? We live in a narrative in the United States in particular where it's all about self-sufficiency. It's all about rocking it You're on your own. You know, like, I don't need help. I'm good, you know. Lent is the season when we just sort of try and knock the legs out of that narrative and remember, no, 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 actually we need God. We need God not only to forgive us and rescue us, but we need God in order to experience the life-giving power of God that we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John. And so today we're going to take a little bit of a departure from the Gospel of John, and we're going to lean into what is this season we are entering called Lent. And specifically, we're going to do it in a little different way. So one of the things, you know, usually we gather right here as mostly adults. And sometimes we can get into our brains that church is an adult thing. Like church is really just for adults. But actually, that's not true, right? Church is an intergenerational gathering focused on Jesus. So once a quarter, we create space where the elementary school kids, the middle school kids, high school kids, everyone is here. Whether you're 80 or 5, you get to hang out right? And be together, worship God, and learn what does it look like to follow Jesus. Now, some of you might be wondering, depending on your background, like, so, you know, I get I'm supposed to, like, lean into my dependence on Jesus during Lent, but you're like, aren't we supposed to do that all the time? Like, isn't that a daily thing? And it's like, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. <laughs> so two things I want to say to that. First is this. I just believe in a deep, sort of a deep way that every single one of us doesn't rock it 365, 24-7. Like most of us are a little bit drifty, right? Like we come up with awesome convictions. We start going down the right path and then something happens and we end up sort of wandering off a different way, right? Lent is a season built into the calendar that takes that into consideration, that we are not perfect. So we create a season where we're like, okay, we're going to recenter on Jesus and our need for God to rescue us and to give us life. So if you've been around Wellspring a bit, you've seen this uh, diagram a bit, right? So centered set. So Jesus and his kingdom are in the middle. And the question we're often asking is, how then, like, do we move towards him? Or are we sort of gallivanting off this way or that way? Or are we stuck where we are? right? Season, Advent is the season when we think, okay, where are we in our life with God? Are we moving closer? Are we moving farther away? Are we kind of stuck where we are, right? And we develop, we cultivate practices and habits that help us move closer to Jesus. 
Also, the second thing I want to say is, one, we have sort of a wayward propensity, so it's helpful to build into the actual calendar year seasons when we're like, okay, I need to make some changes. But two, I want to say, Lent is not something that like bored people in the Middle Ages made up to entertain themselves in the middle of Christendom, right? Lent has been with the church uh, as early as the very beginning. In the second century, Irenaeus was talking, he's writing, he's a bishop, right? He's writing about this season in Lent. When you get to Nicaea in 325, where you get the Nicaean Creed, in 325, the church is all practicing this season of Lent, preparing their hearts and lives for Good Friday, for Easter. One of the ways that I sort of imagine Lent, uh, is anyone here a gardener or like gardening? A couple of you? Mason, rocket, love it. Okay, anyone else? So one of the things I learned with gardening is that there are seasons to different activities gardening. One of them particularly is pruning. So pruning, uh, you come in in like winter, and I remember the first time I pruned these roses. We were living in San Jose, and these roses, there's just like ideal rose growing environment. These roses are just huge. And my friend comes in, her name's Rachel, and she's like, okay, let me show you how to prune. And then she goes through and she just totally like annihilates my rose bush that I thought was like beautiful. And she says, no, 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 actually you need to prune your bushes, your roses, if you want them to flourish and grow throughout the year. Lent has been a season historically when the church has done some pruning. Through fasting and through prayer, the church comes and prunes so that God can grow in our lives, in our bodies, individually and corporately, throughout the year. Now, maybe another helpful frame would be this. Like, have you ever had a big event in your life? Maybe you got married. Right? Maybe you had a child. Like, very rarely do you just show up to like the hospital like, oh my gosh, I'm having a child. I didn't think about what I would do. You have a little prep in there, right? Usually you prepare for a wedding. Or maybe if you're in high school or middle school and you race track or you're in a sporting event, you don't just show up like, all right, I'm just gonna like beat everyone today, right? You've prepared, you've trained, right? You've done something so that you get to that big day and you're ready, right? The same is true with Good Friday and with Easter. These are huge days in the life of the church. And it's hard to show up on Good Friday and be like, Jesus, I'm so dependent and I need you to rescue me, right? The narrative of our culture is to say, no, 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 you don't need anyone. You can do it. And we actually need time to prepare our minds and our bodies and hearts. So when we get to Easter and Good Friday, we're like, okay, God, yeah, no, I do need you. Even though everything in my culture tells me I can do it on my own, No, no, I actually do need you. It's a season of pruning. It's a season of recognizing our dependency on God to rescue us and to give us life. Now, I realize that this might be a little bit adult for some of you. You're like, well, this is so boring. Uh, So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to invite Miss Trish to come up, and she's going to tell us a story. Now, this story is going to be for all of us, but it's going to be primarily directed to the younger people. So Miss Trish is going to come up here, and then I think she might invite some of you forward. And you, no matter your age, you're welcome to come forward. But my guess is that some of the younger people will probably be the ones coming forward. Good morning. 
I'm so excited to see all of you here, and I would like to welcome any child that wants to come up and sit close so you can see. And then for those of you that are children at heart, we are going to put the video up high so you can see as well. All right, Mason, I'm going to have you sit right back there. And I'm going to ask that you make this carpet nice and clear so everybody can see. So I'm going to have you scooch back just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. All right, nice. Good job. Good morning. Good morning. There's a spot right here for you. Awesome. Great. Elena, yeah, scooch you back just a little bit. And then you can sit right there. Perfect. Oh, right there. There's a great spot for you. Good deal. Gabe, can I ask you to scooch back a little bit and Lily scooch back so that you can sit right there. Perfect. Awesome. Great. Can everybody see? All right, very good. Good morning. I am so happy that you guys are here. And today I have a really awesome story to tell you. I am going to ask that if you've heard this story before, that you listen with new ears, that you think, hmm, I wonder if God has something new for me to hear from this story. So if you've heard it before, I'm going to ask again that you just listen. And remember, as I'm telling the story, there are parts where I get to talk, and then there's a part where I say, I wonder, and that's your cue to, to jump in and, and help me out with the story, okay? You guys think you can do that? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Are we ready? Are you situated? Comfy? It looks like it. All right. Hmm. Wow. Look at this bag. It's, it's so beautiful. It looks like it could belong to a king. Hmm. Now is the time for preparing for a king, for his coming, and then his going, and then his coming again. Hmm. We are preparing for the mystery of Easter. And this is a serious time. It takes weeks to get ready for the mystery of Easter. I wonder how many weeks it takes to get ready. I wonder how many weeks Lent is. I wonder how many weeks is Lent? Two weeks, maybe. How many weeks? Um, ten weeks? Maybe ten weeks. Yeah. How many weeks do you think? Six. Maybe six weeks. Let's open this bag and see how many weeks Lent is and what it makes when it's all put together. Let's see. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what this is. A wall. A wall? Maybe. Yeah. Like a floor? It could be a floor. Hmm. Maybe it's a puzzle piece. A puzzle piece? I don't know. Let's see what else is in here. Oh, look. There's a second one. Two. Huh. 
they're so different. Hmm. Let's see what else is in here. Oh, there's another one. I wonder, I wonder what this could be. Like, like spots, like places, like this is a spot and this is a different spot and this is a, maybe three, yeah. Um, it, they put up together. Maybe we're going to put them together. Oh, to put, to make a wall. So you mean like put them together like this? Maybe, let's see. Let's keep going. Let's see. So three. Hmm. Oh, look, there's another one. Hmm. Four. Four weeks. Well, four weeks, that's the time that we get ready for Christmas. Maybe Lent is four weeks. Let's look. Let's see. Oh, oh, no. There's another one in here. Hmm. Another piece. Five weeks. So Lent is longer than Advent. So the mystery of Easter must be even greater than the mystery of Christmas. Hmm. That must be it, right? Five. Five. Oh, oh you're right. There's one more in there. There's one more in there. Hmm. Six. Six. Let's see. Oh, yep. Okay. That's all of our pieces. So six weeks. It takes six weeks to prepare for the mystery of Easter. Hmm. But there's something serious about these pieces too. Perhaps what's going to happen is sad. Hmm. But it takes six weeks for us to get ready. And, and we're preparing for, for Easter. And, oh, it gives us time for us to know more about the one who is Easter. And also to know more about who we really are. Hmm. Lent is an important time. Let's, let's put Lent together and, and see what it makes. Hmm. They do look like puzzle pieces. I wonder how they fit together. Is it, is it like this? No. And maybe like this? No. And this? No. Mm, no, I don't think so. Hmm, let's see. What if I put this one like this? And then, oh, look, that kind of looks the same. Let's put that one there. Hmm. And then, let's see. Oh, maybe, oh, here we go. Okay, those go together. And then, let's see. Oh, oh I see. 
It's a cross. Hmm. So the mystery of Easter, this this cross, it kind of looks sad. And and Easter is sad. Jesus grew up to be a man and then he died on the cross. That is sad. Hmm. But it's also wonderful. Let's let's see what happens if we if we turn it over. It's white. Wow. The the serious and the sadness and the preparing turns into celebration because somehow Jesus died on the cross, but he's still with us. And so Easter turns everything upside down and inside out because there's sadness and there's happiness. And somehow those come together to make joy. Hmm. And look, Easter can't be contained in just one Sunday. There's one, two, three, four, five, six weeks of celebration all the way to Pentecost. Hmm. Now I wonder, I wonder what part of Lent you like best. Yeah. You like this part right here. Yeah. What about Lent? What part of Lent do you like best? Oh, so you like this part right here because it's the most important part. It it holds it all together. And that's how Jesus got crucified because it it wasn't just up. No, he rose through. So this piece right here is the most important because it helps the cross stand up. And if the cross wasn't standing up, then if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross and, and people wouldn't have been able to see him. I wonder what part of Lent is most important. Hmm. Yeah, Mason. Um, I like, um, I like this part better. This part. Oh, so you like this part so that people can see what happened. Yeah. I see. It's the start of the cross. It's the start of the cross. Oh. And and I wonder hmm. I wonder how we could be preparing our hearts for the one who is Easter. I wonder, how could we get ready? How could we get ready? Yeah. Um, we could go to church every Sunday and read our Bible. Go to church every Sunday and read our Bibles? Is there any other way that we could be getting ready? Yeah. We can uh, put up crosses around our house. Put up crosses around our house to help us remember what the season is about? Oh, maybe. 
Yeah. And I also wonder, hmm, have you ever seen happiness and sadness come together to make joy? Can you think of a time when happiness and sadness came together to make joy? So your mom was expecting a baby and you were going to find out if she was going to have a boy or a girl. I see. So you wanted a, a boy or you wanted a girl and it was a boy and you were a little bit sad, but you were still excited to have a sibling. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. I am so thankful that you guys were able to join me with this story. And I thank you for being such a good crowd for everybody else to see, too. Thank you for coming up here. Let's give Trish another round of applause. It's awesome to have someone up here. So one of the things we see from that story, right, is that there's this six weeks leading up to Good Friday and to Easter. And the question is then, right, the kids were sort of wrestling, how do we prepare our hearts? One of the things we see historically is that there's two essential pillars to preparation in Advent. One is fasting and the other one is prayer. So I want to kind of touch on each of those because I want to invite us as a congregation to lean into both of them over the next six weeks. Let's talk about fasting. So let me, tell me if you've had this experience. So the first time I tried to fast, uh, I didn't eat some food and then felt crazy grumpy and irritable by the end of the day. And it was just this horrible experience for myself and everyone around me. And um, so I basically vowed early on, like, I'm never doing this again. This is pointless. All it does is make me mean. Anyone else had that experience? A couple people. Good. I'm not alone. Uh, there's a other subset of us here that are like really hip actually. And you're really into fasting and you're reading about intermittent fasting. And you're like trying to figure out how many hours a day you should fast in order to be like optimal health. Any one of those people here? Intermittent fasters. Yeah, there's a couple. I knew you were there. Um, there's also really interesting research coming out of like John Hopkins in particular about fasting and how it actually decreases chances for Alzheimer's and different sort of brain uh, issues, uh, increases mood. There's all kinds of interesting things happening with fasting and research today. But the reason we're talking about fasting is not necessarily for these side benefits. From a biblical perspective, there's actually all these really profound stories of fasting from the beginning to the end of the Bible. In Judges 26, the Israelites experience a defeat in battle. And what do they do, right? They pray and fast to God. Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem are all knocked down. What is his first response? Pray and fast to call out to God. Ezra is thinking about taking this huge journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's 900 miles. So the first thing is pray and fast. The book of Jonah, Jonah goes out and preaches in Nineveh, right? The king of Nineveh is like, oh my gosh, we've gone astray. What's the first thing to do? Pray 
and fast. You get to the New Testament, right? You have this prophetess, Anna, in Luke 2, and she's 84 years old. She's worshiping God every day in the temple. What does she do? Pray and fast, right? Jesus, before he launches into his ministry, he spends 40 days fasting and praying in the wilderness, Bartimaeus and Paul in Acts 14, before they're going off, sending out these elders to be in charge of their churches, right? They pray and fast before they take over the reins and lead. Prayer and fasting go together. Sometimes I think we approach the New Testament in particular like, ah, we don't fast, you know? But if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. He's like, when you fast, this is how you should do it right? When you fast. So what is fasting? What does that even look like? I think, you know, if you grew up, uh, I don't know, maybe like me, I sort of just associate fasting with like giving up candy for a few days. Uh, or maybe, you know, you give up meat or maybe you're like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'll just deprive myself. Like primarily we look at fasting in terms of deprivation. Like I'm just going to make myself suffer. You know, it's a little masochistic. In reality, big picture, Fasting is about creating an absence in the everyday rhythms of life so that that absence can be filled with the presence of God. Fasting is about creating an absence that can be filled with the presence of God. It is not just about deprivation. It is about making space for God to show up and be present to you and transform you in the midst of your daily life. Let me give a couple examples. So this is, you wake up in the morning and rather than flipping over to the side of your bed, picking up your smartphone and like checking your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed or your work email or whatever, this is creating an absence, not doing that and turning instead maybe to the songs of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus and the Psalter and the Psalms. Right? This is, as you're going about your day, you create an absence. Rather than just sort of crushing it through work and just skipping lunch, you actually fast from work during lunchtime and go for a walk to be with Jesus, to slow down into his presence. Right? This is maybe when you get home from work, right? And you're getting ready for bed or you're spending that night rather than sort of going to the fridge to meet your emotional needs, fasting from food during the night and making space to turn to Jesus or rather than turning to, again, some screen or Netflix or whatever, taking a space in the night where you create space where you turn to Jesus rather than turning to the screen to entertain you. Fasting can take on all kinds of different, uh, I don't know, permutations, but it is all about creating an absence that then can be filled with the presence of God. The question is, as we go into this season, is what does it look like for you to fast? There's actually a lot of research that goes into habit making, uh, and there's this thing called the habit loop. And this is how it goes. These are sort of the four steps of it. First, there is a cue So this is when you think about fasting, right? You remove something. So now you're cued like, oh, you know, you wake up in the morning and rather than checking your phone, now you have a cue. What am I going to do? You start to emotionally freak out a little bit because you're used to looking at your phone right away, right? Cue then creates a craving. And then the question is, how do I satisfy that craving? And you respond, you do something. So rather than turning to your phone, you respond by turning to the Psalms, right? And then as you turn into the Psalms, what happens is you are satisfied in the presence of God. 
you counter the faithfulness of God in that psalm, right? And then the craving is satisfied in the presence of God. This is the habit loop, right? We have a cue. You fast. You remove something. What happens? It creates a craving. So you have a desire to do something else. Then you respond. You have an action and then a reward. So the question is, as you enter into Lent and you're trying to prepare your heart, you're trying to align your heart with God's, you're trying to move closer to Jesus, you're trying to remind yourself that you are a dependent creature on God dying on a cross and God rising again. What is God's invitation to you in this season? What does it look like for you to fast so that you are prepared for Good Friday and Easter so that you can worship Jesus? What does it look like for you? Can you think of maybe one or two things that you could remove from your daily rhythms to make space for the presence of God? Maybe it's tech. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's noise and just creating a space for silence. Maybe it's you don't have any time alone. It's creating space for solitude. Maybe in your whole life you've never actually practiced a Sabbath. Maybe you actually create a Sabbath rhythm in your family. Kids, if you're in elementary school, what does it look like? What could it be for you to create a little space in your day? Maybe it's praying with your parents, saying, hey, can we pray before dinner? Can we pray before we go to bed? What does it look like to fast to create an absence that can be filled with the presence of God. Right? This gets back to the pruning metaphor, right? We're creating space. We're cutting things out to make space for the growing presence of God in us. Now, some of us, I think, are sort of sitting here and we're like, I don't know about this. I don't, one, I don't know about fasting. And two, I'm not sure if I even need this. I'm going to read you a super challenging quote from John Piper. He says this. The absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things. There is no room for the great. Right? We satisfied with all these things in life, in the world that the world offers us, whether it's a, a four-day latte or a four-dollar latte or a river cruise or whatever it is, we're satisfied with all these things that we forget that Jesus is truly right, the joy and pleasure of our life. Fasting is about breaking some of those rhythms so that we reconnect to Jesus and say, Yes, I want to feast on the bread of life, not the crumbs that are dropped under the table. What does it look like for you to create space for Jesus in this season? Now, the second thing, so you have like fasting, but I also, right, and then fasting is connected to prayer, but I also want to just invite us all as a body to not only fast, but also pray for five people in our life that are not experiencing much of Jesus, now, as you come in, you should have been given a little bookmark. On this bookmark, it says pray for five at the front or at the top. If you weren't given it, there's a ton out there. Uh, and the idea is this, right? 
Lent is not simply about preparing our hearts so that we can have this awesome experience of God. One of the reasons Jesus came to earth, Jesus died on a cross, and Jesus was resurrected was not just so that we could have this awesome experience with him, but so that the world could know that God is alive and that God is real and that God is giving all of who he is that they might experience life. So with that, right, we are going to, during this season, also pray for five people in our life that we want to experience more of Jesus. Ideally, five people locally that you could actually run into. And if you want to put your name, number one, in there, awesome. Pray for yourself. That's great. But who else could you pray for? Who are five people in your life that you would love to experience more of Jesus? And what I want you to do is literally take that bookmark And when you pray on a regular basis, just go to it and write, you know, you'll notice on the bookmark, there's like five lines on each line, put one name. And then there's a little space between those lines. And what I want you to do is when you pray for people, listen, God, do you have something you want to say to this person? God, is there a way that I could bless this person that they would know your love for them and actually get involved in being a part of the blessing that these five get to experience, right? God uses us to be a blessing in the world. And we're going to use this as a ramp going up to Easter. My hope is that some of these people get invited to Easter, right? This could be a time when they get to come and be included. We're going to have baptisms on Easter Sunday and be like, whoa, these people are choosing to be a part of the kingdom of God. And they get to see that. Or maybe there are people that we invite, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt, you know, that maybe we invite them to something like that. We're going to do a series out of Easter on cultural conversations. Like, you know, do you know anyone who does keto? We're going to do a sermon series on Jesus' take on keto. Right? We're going to do something on Marie Kondo. We're going to do something on mindfulness. We're going to do Jesus' take on these things as a way of saying, hey, these are things that people are talking about. Maybe people would be interested in coming to a sermon series that's talking about these random things that are a part of our cultural discussion and say, what does Jesus have to say about that? Maybe some of your five would be interested in hearing some of those things that we're trying to lean into. The point is, God is at work in the world right now. Right? Jesus comes to earth. He takes on human flesh. He dies on a cross and is resurrected so that we can experience the life of God and the world can. And we're invited into that process. Right? Just as, as we lean up to Good Friday and Easter, we're entering into the dependence, our dependence on God, so we are invited into the mission of God, which is led by the Spirit that we are ultimately dependent on as well. Pray for Five is a way of recognizing that it is in prayer we are invited to partner with the Spirit as He blesses the world. So we're discerning, we're listening, God, how can we be a part of blessing these five people? As I invite the worship team up, uh, I, just wanna, I just want us to sort of settle down for a second into this process of what does it look like for us to fast in this season as individuals? And what does it look like for us to pray for five people in our life, maybe including ourselves, that aren't experiencing much of Jesus? As the worship team just sort of starts to play a little bit in the background, I just invite you just to sort of be in a prayerful posture I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm not, my prayer is that God would reveal to you the path of faithfulness in this season. Like, what does it look like for you to faithfully respond in this season? 
with fasting and with prayer. Let me just pray for us that we might settle in and hear the voice of God. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would speak. We pray that you would draw near. God, some of us are like just out of control rose bushes that need to get pruned, God. And we just ask that you in your wisdom would give us the ability to see what do we need to fast from to make room for you, that we may experience the life of your kingdom, that we may come to Good Friday and Easter Sunday and worship you with all of who we are. And God, for those of us who maybe get a little narcissistic and a little self-focused, God, we ask that you would give us the ability to make room for praying for others in this season. Jesus, that just as you came, not just so that I could have life and life to the full, but you came so that all of us in our community and our world could experience the life-giving power of your kingdom. So God, I just pray that you would draw near. Help us know how to fast. Help us know how to pray that we may be transformed into your image, that we may experience the fullness of Good Friday and the fullness of the hope of Easter.